Today we're going to look at examples of those who have lived by faith so that we can gain a better understanding and be encouraged to also live our lives by faith, trusting in God and his promises. As you are turning to that passage, setting the stage here, I'd like to go back to Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 36, which was taught last week, and read, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for these examples of faith. For we will learn that without this faith, that we are unable to please you, Lord, and that our lives are about pleasing and glorifying you. So thank you, Father, for these examples, and may we be encouraged so. In Jesus' name, amen. The Hebrew readers that were in need of being encouraged to continue on in their faith, they were beginning to turn back towards Judaism, and the author provides several examples of these great men and women of faith uh, from their past to encourage them to believe in Christ alone, their Messiah, the promise of God. The author of Hebrews relates to their rich history of the Israel nation, and these different men and women lived in different circumstances at different times, different lives, yet they all lived by faith of a promise. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This chapter starts off with not quite the definition, but more of a declaration of faith, telling us what faith does. Faith gives us hope in what we cannot see. Wherein what we see gives evidence to our minds, faith gives us evidence to our souls. It gives us a willingness to trust and to cling to this future promise of God. It takes our beliefs in what we know to be true, and it puts it into action. You see, if I do not believe God's promise to be true, I cannot have faith in him, and then I would not be able to trust in the Lord to lead my ways, and I would have no real hope in salvation and the promise of eternal life in paradise with him. If I can, as an example for faith, uh, an analogy, if you would, use a chair. If I were to look at a chair and with my eyes, I would see that chair has four legs, and I would then become to believe that that chair would hold me if I were to sit in it. Well, that's my belief. Faith is action. I now take the belief that that chair will hold me, and I go and I sit in that chair. That is my faith. I'm having faith that that chair is going to hold me. All right, I sit and I rest in that chair. The Lord's promise I see in the same way. We can see things, and as we'll go through, I'll point things out along the way. But we take those things that we see with our minds and believe them with our souls, just like that chair. I now take action, and I go sit, and I rest in it. We can then learn, as these here will do, sit and rest in the Lord's promises. So how do we apply what we believe to be true of God's promises? How do we act in faith? on these promises in times of joy, in times of sorrow, or in times of testing. Well, let's take a look at these examples as listed in Hebrews 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith, and see how they applied their belief in the truths of their one true God. Looking at verse 2, we read, For it by the elders obtained a good testimony. A testimony is what you bear record of. What you testify is truth. Much like you would if you were called to a court and asked to testify or bear witness to what you know to be truth. And by our faith, we obtain 
a good testimony. If you were asked to provide testimony or evidence as a witness to your faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you of having faith? The author chooses to begin at a time, an example of faith telling us when no man was present, at the very beginning, when it was just God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit at creation, looking at verse 3, we read, For by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God spoke and created all out of nothing. And Genesis 1-1 begins, In the beginning God created. That word created, in Hebrew is barah, and it means just that, to create or shape or fashion something out of nothing. And obviously it is only with God as the subject that that could be used. For all of intelligence man's creative ability, we never have been able to create something out of nothing. Scientists have many times attempted to create conditions in which they believe life first came. The problem is they have to use something to do that with. We have no ability to create out of nothing. For me, I see order in our created universe that leads me to believe in our creator. A grand design that shows there's a grand designer. And that evidence points to my creator. Charlie's smiling over here. They just came back from the creation museum. I just tied that in my head together. Let me take this further. If I were to take and line up a bunch of sticks in a neat line on the sidewalk coming into church here, to this building, and you would see them and think, someone put them there. They're neatly arranged, designed, if you will. I wonder who. Well, that's the same way I look at our creation, except I, like the author, know who my creator is. I wasn't there at the time of creation, but creation speaks to my soul as the creator. It's a God who created things which are seen and were not made of things which are visible. I'm reminded of Psalm 19, verse 1, that speaks, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. By faith, I believe. I did not see creation occur, yet the truth and the evidence speaks to my soul, and I understand the truth of my creator. Now, the, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews is going to continue up the timeline to now when we have Cain and Abel, and their offering of their sacrifice. Take a look at verse 4 with me. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God, testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice, one of faith. I have to admit that many times throughout my Christian life when I would hear the talk of Cain and Abel, it was taught to me and I believed it a little differently. Um, I believed that, or I was taught that Abel's sacrifice was one of blood and Cain's was one of, of, of the earth and ground, of sort of a, a thank sacrifice. And without the blood sacrifice first, Cain's would not be accepted. And I started, as I put this together in my notes, the Lord spoke to me. He's like, Joe, what does that have anything to do with faith? We're talking about faith here. And I'm like, it doesn't, Lord. That's what I'm talking to you about, sacrifice here. So I had to relook at this back as, well, what is this talking about with faith? And I got a whole new light on this. It has nothing to do with the sacrifice. It has, itself, it has to do with their hearts. It has everything to do with their See, the Lord looks at your heart of the one giving the sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice was done in faith of the redeeming power of the Lord. Cain's was a works. Cain didn't have faith. He just sort of did it as an action. His heart was not of faith. 
If you go back to Genesis and you read, the Lord will then speak to Cain when he did not accept the sacrifice and say, guard your heart. Sin is knocking at the door. But Cain would not guard his heart. His heart was not right. His heart would not have faith. And he would go and he would kill his brother out of jealousy. See if I can explain it to you this way. We have Christ as our salvation. He is the free gift. That is a gift that we all receive and we all have in same and abundance. If it were a matter of works and we were to bring our works before the Lord, well, you could bring this as your work and I could bring this as my work and I could look at you and say, look, my works is better than yours. We would have that jealousy there. That's the jealousy that Cain had. His heart was wrong looking at his gift. It is not about the sacrifice. It is about the heart. And we all can come with the exact same heart and take that free gift of God. It is through our faith in the blood of Jesus and our sacrifice that we are accepted. Now this, as written in Hebrews here, speaks to the Jewish readers who were attempting to return back to offerings and back to the works of their hands instead of remaining in the faith of the blood of Christ. As Cain attempted to do, we do not determine for ourselves what sacrifice we offer. Our works do not make us righteous. Fallen man can worship God with acceptance, but only through faith in the blood of Christ. God himself will testify to the righteousness of faith, even after they have died. If we notice, faith is not necessarily rewarded while we are alive on this earth. Abel's reward, as it is for many in this chapter, came to him after he died. See, Cain killed Abel out of jealousy of Abel's gift being accepted by God. So Abel died without receiving the promise. But yet Abel still speaks to us, though he being dead, reminding us that one's faith does not die with them. We being dead in our sins will gain the promise of God if we trust in the sacrifice of Christ and not in any works of man. And once we accept this and accept the promise of salvation, the old in us will pass away and a new in us will be born. As written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our faith does not die with us. When we become new, it will speak on to those that we impact around us. Now let's look at an example of one of my favorite men in the Bible, Enoch. Looking at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch did not see death. Genesis chapter 5 tells us that Enoch begat Methuselah, and then he walked with God 300 years. 300 years he walked with God. 300 years he pleased God. I have to think, how much of my life, my daily life, of my 52 years of life, have I walked with the Lord and pleased him? And yet an amazing man, he walked with the Lord, pleasing him continually for 300 years. Enoch being taken up is a preview of the rapture of the church. We know that one day, and it seems to be soon, that the Lord will come. And in the twinkling of an eye, we who have believed in faith of the promise of eternal life in him will be taken up into the clouds. Many who knew us but did not know the Lord will look around and say, where did they go? They cannot be found. They are no more just as Enoch was. For we who are alive at the time and who walk by faith, pleasing God, will be taken up, just as Enoch was. Living by faith brings pleasure to God, and it's the very purpose of our existence. Enoch pleased God. In Isaiah 43, verse 21, 
says, The people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Also in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Pleasing God is our purpose. We were created for his glory. Enoch's faith in the Lord glorified God. The Lord testified that this was so and rewarded Enoch by taking him into his presence. So Enoch did not see death. Enoch pleased God by his faith, by trusting in God. And he knew God's promise to be true, and he lived a life walking with, by faith with God for 300 years. I have to ask myself and ask yourself, do we live to please ourselves, or do we live to please the Lord? Are we willing to give up everything if by faith the Lord asked you to? The Lord loves you, and he will reward you for faith in him for eternal life. The Lord may not ask you to give up all of your possessions and leave your family and go serve him in another land, but he will ask you to give up yourself and take up his cross and follow him. Are you willing? Do you have faith in his promise? Do you desire to please God as Enoch did? Are you ready to be taken up with him? Is faith really that important? Well, let's see what the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Impossible to please him. It's a strong reminder to the Hebrews this letter was written to that it is only by faith and not in the works that they were tempted to turn back to that they can please God. Without faith in the promise of God and of his free gift of grace and of the saving blood of Christ, we cannot be reconciled to God. We cannot have a relationship with him. And he has no glory in this and would not be pleased. If I can, by way of analogy, share with you, if I purchased a plane ticket for my son who lives in Arkansas to come home and spend time with me, and he had no faith, he did not believe that I had purchased this free gift for him, he wouldn't receive the gift. And he wouldn't come and visit me, and I would not be pleased. The same way with our Lord. Having faith in the things hoped for, and the promise of God, and the promise of the promised land, and the eternity of heaven, he offers this to you as a free gift. And it pleases God to do so. And it highly pleases him when we accept this. Without accepting him, we will not please God. No acts of works, such as Cain learned, will please God. We must believe that he is. First and foremost, you have to believe in the existence of God. We don't believe in the one who makes the promise. How then can we believe in the promise? And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is good, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. It's a reminder of those whom this letter was written to to continue seeking the Lord. Do we live and act as Christians as though we serve a living God? Are we diligently seeking him? Do we spend time in prayer and in his word daily and often? For those that do, you will be rewarded, as written here, God's promise. Now we're going to look into the faith of a well-known man of the Old Testament, Noah, and be encouraged by his faith in the promise of God. Look to verse 7, please, sorry. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. 
Noah was divinely warned of things not seen. See, up until Noah's day, it had not rained upon the earth. A mist had come up out of the ground and provided water for everything. In Genesis chapter 6, we read, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters upon the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh which is in the breath of life, and everything that is on the earth shall die. Noah was warned by God that he would destroy the earth. The Lord warned Noah that he would bring a flood upon the earth, and everything that is on the earth shall die. He said, never happened before. Rain was unknown to the earth. No man had seen it. Yet the Lord told Noah it was going to rain, and Noah by faith believed. The Lord was going to bring a flood and destroy everything, and Noah by faith in the word of God believed in something that had never happened before. I pondered this, because rain is all too familiar with for us. And as I looked out from my backyard, and I looked down at the creek, and I looked up at the clouds, and I'm like, well, that's kind of hard for me to understand how that sounded to Noah when rain is so familiar to me. But I began to look at the trees that were right there, and I said, well, there are trees right beside the creek. Lord, what if you told me you were going to take the trees and you were going to put the trees up in the clouds, and then the trees were going to lose all the leaves, and the leaves were going to fall down in such quantity that they were going to smother and kill everything on this earth? That sounds crazy. That just doesn't make sense. But if the Lord told me that, and proven by Scripture, I would believe. Well, that's the faith that Noah had. Rain was going to come, and nobody had believed that. Noah, for 100 years, built an ark. 100 years, Noah had faith in the Lord. When all us around him ridiculed him and told him that was crazy, Noah stayed strong in the Lord, despite the circumstances. Something that has never happened before. Now, let me share this with you. Jesus has promised he will return again. Jesus promised that he will raise the dead and call all who are living to believe in him to meet him in the clouds. Jesus has promised to go and prepare a place for us who believe. This has never happened before. I believe. I have faith in our Savior's return. I have faith in the resurrection of the dead and in the rapture of the church and in the beautiful place of promise our Lord has gone to prepare for us. Now Noah, with godly fear, prepared this ark. And Genesis 6, says, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. See, faith calls you to do something. Just as in the example with the chair, I take a belief I see, and I faith I go act, I do something with it. When you know the truth, and you believe it in your heart, your heart should prompt you to act on truth. The example of Noah's obedience is a call to the readers of this letter to remain in obedience to the truths they have known and not to draw back to continue to live by faith. See, when I knew the truth of the gospel, the free gift and the promise of our Lord, it prompted my heart into action as it should yours. We are prompted to repent, to follow Christ, turning from the ways of the world which lead to destruction as it did for those in Noah's day who did not believe. We are prompted to put our faith in the Lord and his promise to save us and that he has gone to prepare a place for us. We are called to seek him diligently, and to do all that he commands us to do in faith, believing in him, trusting in him. Noah became the heir of righteousness. When the entire earth was destroyed, his faith was rightly founded in the Lord, and as a result, Noah inherited life. The author of Hebrews is emphasizing once again that it is only through faith that they can become heirs of righteousness. 
we who put our faith in the promise of God will also inherit eternal life. The Lord will save those who believe in their hearts through faith that he is the Savior, and that those who believe will be saved from destruction and become heirs of righteousness just as Noah is. Author now brings us to mind Abraham, whose faith would earn him the title Father of Many Nations. Let's look to verse 8. Sorry. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham obeyed when he was called. I'd like to read for you from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. This, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. See, notice as I read there in verse 1, God said, get out of the country. And four verses later, so Abraham departed. At 75 years old, Abram was obviously not settled into retirement. The Lord called him, and by faith, Abraham obeyed. This is the faith that pleases the Lord. It's an amazing reminder to the readers of Hebrews that if Abraham had not obeyed, had not had faith, there would be no Israel. For some of us as believers, the Lord will say, go, and by faith we will obey. But for all of us as believers, the Lord says, come. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride said, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. To go or to come, by the Lord's will and command, through faith and a desire to please him, we obey. Now Abram went out, not knowing where he was going. Genesis 12, 1, the Lord tells Abram, he is sending him to a land that I will show you. So the Lord did not tell Abram exactly where he was going. The Lord did not give Abram the promise that, he did give Abraham the promise that he would show him, though. And it's by that faith that Abraham obeyed. I'm reminding of, reminded of our Lord's words as recorded in John chapter 14, verse 3. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, and that where I am, there you may be also. I have faith in Jesus' promise here. It's the very substance of my hope to be there with him one day. Jesus has given us a lot more than Abraham was given as the place where we're going. See, often our Lord would say throughout the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven is like, and share many examples. Search them out. Seek them diligently. They're a joy to read and consider. And keep in mind that heaven is our true home and our forever home. Where we live now is just temporary. It's as if we're living in a foreign country, which is exactly how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's faith led to believe them. Let's look to verses 9 and 10. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He dwelt as in a foreign country. Abraham never owned any of the land where he dwelt, except the plots where him and Sarah were buried. They lived there, 
but they did not have a permanent place there. The Lord promised this very land to Abraham, yet he didn't build there. He lived there as a stranger, as a foreigner. I urge you to consider heaven your home. The place where you live now is just a temporary dwelling. Live in faith of the promise of eternity, not in the struggle of our short time living here on earth. Now, Abraham passed this same faith in the promise of the Lord onto his son Isaac, who then passed it on to Jacob. And they were heirs with him of the same pro promise. Isaac and Jacob lived in the same faith as Abraham. They believed and lived their lives acting in the truth of this promise. They did not build or set up any permanent residence, and they lived on letting faith be the very substance of their hope. Their faith stands again, as it did Abraham's, as an example for us, that we can live peaceably and contently on this earth, waiting in hope of the promise of the Lord, waiting for the day when he brings us to a permanent home. The author of Hebrews notes that they waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham and his descendants were waiting on God's promise. They were waiting for God to give them the land they lived upon. His family was small, and the land that, and the tribes in the area where they lived in were large. Yet he knew by faith that the land they dwelled in would belong to a great nation that began with just them, small as they were, living there. We also wait for a promise of a new heaven and a new earth. The Apostle John records in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, I'd like to share with you what this new heaven and earth looks like. Now, when I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adored for her groom. You can almost picture that when you read it. It's a reminder of something we studied last week in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, also serves as a wonderful example of faith. As we'll read in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised by faith, Sarah. As we read of these people of faith, we may think, think of them as being extra special faith heroes, somebody above the norm. When Sarah initially heard of the promise that she would bear a son, and keep in mind she was in her 90s, she laughed. In Genesis 18, verses 10 through 14, we'll see the Lord is talking with Abraham concerning his son, and we read, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the tent door in which was behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And according to the time of life, Sarah shall have a son. Let me note to you that the Lord does not have a zero defect mentality. He does not expect us to be completely perfect. It is through faith that we receive strength. 
through faith that we could see the Lord working in our lives, fulfilling his promise. As recorded in Philippians chapter 1, verse 16, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So understand that with us, and also understand that for those around us, the Lord is working in our lives to bring us to completion. But that will not fully occur until the day of Jesus Christ. That is the day the Lord returns. In the meantime, we are not perfect. In my imperfection, I look to a perfect Savior. I trust in him that he is faithful and able to keep his promise, just as Sarah looked to him. As it says here, because she judged him faithful who had promised. It was Sarah's faith that had enabled her to receive strength to conceive, though she was in her 90s. The Lord's faithfulness never fails. Genesis 21 verse 2 tells us that for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. Truly, as we read in Genesis 18, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord not only kept his promise in providing this one son, but that Abraham would be the father of many nations. As we look in verse 12 of Hebrews 11, we read, Therefore, for one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. The reward of a promise God made to Abraham. In Genesis 17, verse 1 says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. In just a few verses down in verse 6, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Abraham was 99 years old. The author here notes in Hebrews 11, and him as good as dead, meaning he was well past the age of childbearing. Yet the Lord was faithful to his promise. As the author notes here, Abraham's descendants became as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. It's a great reminder to whom this letter was intended of their past and that they and their nation wouldn't exist if it weren't for the promise of God and the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Faith of one person can have an impact on more people than you can imagine. Our faith in God is not about us. It belongs to, it's about glorifying God, glorifying the Lord. It's a glory that exceeds our imagination when we simply trust and obey in him. Now, we have discussed several well-known men and women from Israel's past. And if you did notice, we talked of their faith, but not completely about them not receiving the promise. The, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews will discuss that next in verse 13 as we read, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They all died in their faith. You mean to tell me that I thought if I had faith in the Lord, he would give me that new car and he would do all these. I would just have this wonderful life right here, right now. No, the faith comes. Have faith in the Lord. They had the faith in the promise of a Messiah, a promise not received. They believed in the promise of salvation. That is the faith they hoped for. Unless the rapture occurs, all of us who believe will live our entire lives without receiving this promise too. We will die in our faith. And yet this is what we believe in. We'll put our trust and our faith in the future with the Lord. And it may seem close, or it may seem like it will be a long time until this happens. For those that we read about today, it was surely a long time off. But yet they remained in faith. 
Yet having seen them afar off, they were assured of them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They understood that this wasn't their home. They understood that God has prepared a better home for them in heaven. They held on to their promise. It was their dependence upon God that saw them through their lives and will bring them to that promise. We can be encouraged as well to understand that this is not our home. God has something far better planned for us. Keeping a proper perspective on life, that we are only pilgrims here. We are then acknowledging through our faith that we are looking forward to our true home. As we, as we're all who live by faith before us, noting as stated in verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. A homeland. They were just passing through. Consider that we're on a long journey. We have things to go through along the way, some good and some bad, and our excitement builds as we get close to that final destination with the, are we there yet? Lord, are you coming back yet? So it's with that promise of heaven with our Lord, and I love to daydream about heaven. It's good to keep that in front of ourselves as a reminder and declaration that we seek a homeland. From thinking of the future in heaven, would we want to spend any time thinking about our past, where we came from, would we want to return there? The author discusses this next in verse 15. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return from which they had come out. See, Abraham and Sarah had came from Haram. The Lord gave them his promise, but he did not remove their free will to choose. But Abraham and Sarah continued, as we are also called to continue in obedience. And this is also a note Noted reminder to the Hebrews whom this letter was written to that though they had opportunity to turn back from where they had come, they are encouraged to continue in faith. Now for me, this is not difficult to do when you desire something better, which is what our Lord offers in his promise. Let's look to verse 16. But now they desired a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. To desire better, that is a heavenly country. Revelations chapter 7 gives us a beautiful description of what this heavenly country will be like. Starting in verse 16 of Revelation 7 reads, They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What better could we hope for? Why would we look back? The author of Hebrews sets this reminder before his readers, encouraging them to press on and not to turn back. There is a promise and a beautiful end to their journey. We are to regard God in heaven and eternity as real, and through our faith, we please God. God is not ashamed to be called their God. As we read in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. I'm afraid to say that God may be ashamed that some call him God. They do so, yet they live their lives in disobedience. They don't hold on to his promise, and they don't trust in him. Yet they call God their God, as if, as if he's an item that they've collected, as if God belongs to them, and ignoring that we belong to Christ, who purchased us. Consider your faith. Do you wish to please God, remembering that he loved you first, that he gave the promise of eternal life, and that you need do nothing but to believe? Lord, guide me that I never embarrass him or cause him to be ashamed to be my God. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
Listen to a promise spoken by Jesus as recorded in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will be by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Our world is full of troubles. The effects of sin leaves all of our works futile. Though we do not deserve it, the Lord stands behind us, and he is faithful to bring us to a new and everlasting life. He cleanses us. He will clothe this in white. Let faith in the Lord be our very substance of hope. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your free gift. Thank you for how you offer it to us, Lord. Thank you for these examples of those who have lived by faith so that we can see and know that faith is acting, Lord, that you're calling us not just to believe in what we see, but to put that in our heart and by our hearts trust in you, Lord, and that that is what pleases you. That is what you require of us. Let us glorify you, Lord. Thank you for this promise and for this beautiful view of eternity and life with you, Lord. And I look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.